0: Now your eyes are on me, I shall be gone as the cloud fades and vanishes. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Therefore, I would not restrain my mouth. I would speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed would comfort me, my couch would ease my complaints, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your hearts on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you? You watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your target? Why have I target? Why pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity for now I shall lie in the earth you will seat me but I shall not be there are three things that we're going to focus on the first thing that we're going to focus on is the depression and despair depression and despair. And before I continue, I just want to say I have grouped these verses together. It would have taken me several hours to go through all of them. But I want you to get to to get the main points of these verses and really hear Job's heart. So the first we will focus on is depression and despair, the second, the heart of God, and third, praying through depression, praying through depression. As I was going through this test, I asked a simple question to myself. Has Job suffered enough? Has he suffered enough? Job believed, as we have read and noticed, that his suffering continued despite what previously happened in his life. And we see that in the first couple of verses. Verses 1 through 5. Especially in verse 1. Job, in verse one, Job is saying that man is forced to labor upon. There is no choice for anyone not to work. And Job sees sees this as additional suffering. If you see it, he characterizes himself. He asks the question, has not man a heart service on earth and are not his days like the days of a hired hen like a slave who longs for the shadow A slave has no choice but to work to do what he is told So this is this is what's going on in these particular these couple of verses It's that a person who, a slave who loans for the shadow, the shadow doesn't come every single minute. It comes every single other time, or however you want to phrase it. A person who is in the heat every single day, every single waking moment, desires some kind of relief. But Job said, "A person will always continue to suffer because he it is it is innately built in this fallen, sin, curse world. We notice that in Genesis. In Genesis, the Lord." curse the ground of which Adam our forefather or our first father that was on this earth was going to work for the rest of his life until he returned back to the dust of which he was made it is innately built into this world because previously Adam he didn't have to work prior to the fall of man, to the fall. Everything that he ever wanted was at his disposal. But after the fall, that's when suffering started. That's when suffering started. So the question that Job is is showing us and, and, and communicating to us is that we as a people will continue to work but within that isn't that suffering tell me one person in here that don't want to go to that, that desire not I mean desire to go to work. Raise your hand if you want to do that on a single on an everyday basis. Okay, we have two people out of (laughs) But the point is this. Majority of the people desire not to work. You desire to do what you want to do. If you had a choice of not working and just living life, which one would you do? choose So this is this is this, this is a blanket statement for everyone that we are only allotted or a portion relief for some days We see this in the first four Verses. In verses, like I said, in verses one through four, Job characterizes suffering as life as a life of forced labor and sleepless nights. Job was frustrated with life because life forced him to employment. Job said, "We are light slaves. Who is yearning for the shadow?" Uh, chapter one clearly demonstrated that Job was a wealthy man. It wasn't as if he didn't want to work. He owned seven thousand cattle, and sheep, and goats, so he worked. But after his suffering, the the crises that he faced, additional suffering came from employment. This is true, and this is really, really true for those who who are working at a job. Who have no desire to be there. There is no self-dignity working at a job where you feel as if you're not thriving as a person. There's no self-worth in that. You can find self-worth, but it's only limited. Because we... Have responsibilities, and we are employed at jobs, and we are obligated to work week after week. We must work to earn a paycheck. If you and I had it our way, we'd probably be on the beach or something. I don't know. <laughs> But this is what Job is saying. But notice, notice in verse 5, Job said, my flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out the flesh. Job is, is pointing out that he has chronic pain pain of itself is suffering. One book title, it was a book that I have I glanced over and it was titled Pain. A gift that no one wants. So in addition to Job's stress his physical pain contributed to his depression, and we see in Job chapter two, verse eight, that he took a piece of broken pottery and started scraping the scabs off of his body. So whatever pain that or a pain that he was going through. Physical pain—it was visible from head to toe. I know that I have actually heard some of you are dealing with pain, and you see it, and, it's, and it's, you see it as a problem, which it is, and then this may cause you emotional and physical discomfort. But as I have stated before, you may how however you feel should not dictate how you respond to it. However you feel should not dictate your actions. Complain, be embittered, go through those emotions. But how you respond or the application of your suffering is what matters. Like for example, and there is a, you know, if you look at verse 16, look at verse 16 and notice what Job said. Job said, "I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone. For my days are a breath." Why is Job loathing his life? So, if you follow the train, uh, Job's train of thought, you go from him suffering by just just by being employed or have to work. Then he complains about his physical suffering. Now, this is a mental suffering. I believe Joe contemplated suicide. In previous chapters, he even wished that his birth was the birth of a miscarriage. He even cursed the day that he was born. Joel wanted his life to end. This is what happens. If we really think about this, if something traumatic happens in your life, the first thing you go through is how to analyze it. And while you're analyzing, you're going through different emotions. You're trying to resolve the problem. And if you cannot resolve the problem, then you complain about the physical suffering of the problem, whether it's emotional or physical. And after that, as many people have done, if they cannot resolve the problem at all, then they feel as if suicide is their best option. In the year of two th- uh the Los Angeles uh, Times and reported in the year of 2009 that a husband lost his job. And after dealing with many financial hardships, He planned and succeeded to murder his family. He murdered his wife. Then he murdered his five children, aging from two to eight. Then he took his own life. This is the pattern that we see. This is the pattern that Job is communicating to us. But it shouldn't be for the believer. We know as believers that suicide is not the option. It is okay to be depressed for a while. But knowing that it is the Lord's who is guiding you through your depression? I remember when I was depressed. I was depressed because, uh, during high school, I believe. I just, I was depressed because I felt as if I was the only person in the world who cared about me. You know, if I talk to Crystal, she'll tell you that I was a bully in school and, and I wanted to live up to that reputation, but after a while, I just stopped caring about my reputation. I stopped caring about everything. It wasn't until after high school I realized how depressed I was. But it's only by the God's grace. Only by God's grace. And speaking of God's grace, Job displays that in Job chapter 7, verses 17 through 19, which is the second point that we're going to discuss the heart of God. The heart of God. Look at him. Look, look listen to what Job said in these couple of verses. He said, What is man that you make him make so much of him and that you set your heart on him, visiting him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me? Listen, beloved. God's heart is set on you despite how you feel. The question that Job asks is, will you not look away from me? The answer to that question is no. This is the heart of God. What is implied here? It's that God knew beforehand what Job was going to go through. He allowed He allowed Job to face those crises. This is what this is the God that we serve. And it is difficult for us to really comprehend of how a good and just God can allow His kids to go through suffering. To a certain degree, we understand it, but when it's really applied to our lives, we start questioning it. We don't understand, we don't see the horizon of why we suffer the way we do. We don't see the application of that. What we see is what is in front of us. And I think the best way to answer what Job's question is to look at the person of Christ. Jesus. That is the only way I can really see how a good God can allow someone to suffer. In Hebrews chapter two verse 16, it tells us of how Christ suffered. 16 through 19 Christ is the perfect illustration of a person who suffered for no reason and it says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 through 19 for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he was able To help those who are being tempted. Do not think for one second that Christ did not feel depression. He felt what you have been feeling. How do I know this? Another proof test we can look at is Luke chapter 22. Luke twenty two, verse thirty nine. I believe this is the most depressing moment in history. The most depressing moment in history. A little records for us, starting in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in being in, in agony he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This was the most depressing moment in human history because Christ was asking the Father to for him not to suffer. The righteous man. The only one who was ever holy and born into this world. Look at the text. It said that he, his sweat became like drops of blood. There is an actual condition when someone's anxiety is being built up to the mats. They were actually bleed out. But for Christ, that didn't necessarily happen. It's just a metaphor. His sweat became like drops of blood. Christ suffered for no reason, no reason of his own. even to Him facing the cross, is more of the ideal or or the picture of Him facing God's wrath for our sins. Why Why should a just person to suffer for unjust people? And take upon himself the wrath of God for criminals, for sinners. This is the mystery of the gospel. The idea of Christ suffering, and the ideal of his Father pouring out his wrath. It's depressing, but notice what he did. He prayed. He he was seeking after God's face. He even asked if there, if God the Father was willing, if there is any slight, uh, the slightest moment or can't even think of the word, but if there is a slightest moment where Christ cannot face the cross, he would have taken that. But we see the heart of God and the person of Christ. We see the heart of God and the person of Christ. You know, So as we continue, you have to be mindful. This is just the practical advice I'm about to give you. of How to pray through depression. One, communicate to someone. Allow people to know how you feel. It's interesting. I do it myself and I know you do it. It's interesting when you actually ask someone, How are you feeling? You don't really want to hear how they're feeling. Say, How are you feeling? I'm good. "Uh, Thank you. So you can just go by your way. You're just being cordial. But seriously, ask someone, What is going on? Get involved in their lives, go to their homes participate with their family events. This is part of the church. This is the gift of the church. Because anyone who is isolated will think of all types of thoughts. Their emotions will be built up within them. And they don't know how to process it. It uh, could be political things. And that's an interesting thing for me, uh, how the Christians respond when politics are involved. That you allow your emotions to be dictated by politics. Historically and biblically, Christians didn't care to a certain degree who was in office. They didn't care that Nero was in office more than they more prayed for Nero, the Emperor of Rome, who persecuted Christians. I have purposefully allowed this sermon to be short and brief because I want someone from our own congregation to giving you an idea of what went through his life and how he dealt with uh, depression. And that's Melvin Gaines. He would tell us what happened, how it happened, how he felt, and how he prayed through it. Amen? Amen.
1: Pastor Travis asked me to pray about this and to put together a brief essay to express what I experienced. And I can share with you that uh, for some of you who were around back then, you may or may not even have known that I was going through something like this. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I, I probably only shared with a few people and I probably don't even remember who you were. Um, but I can describe to you um, what happened and I can also describe to you first of all and that the good news out of that is, is that you do come out from the other side of it and that you are delivered by God in doing so. So that I will share with you. A haze, a funk, a mood. Depression can take on many forms. For me, it was subtle, yet very impactful. Now, depression happens for me, personally, on a situational level. It may be in response to a comment or a conversation that comes across in such a way that brings about vulnerability on my part. There is no specific trigger. It may be due to sensitivity from some sort of negative stimuli in my past from as long as 20 years ago, or perhaps even longer, going back to my Parent-child relationships. There is no exact cause that I can point to. The reality is that it is something that I've had to reckon with and then live through it. My experience with depression is like a translucent head covering being pulled down over my head. When it comes on, it drops much like a curtain drops when you pull a cord. I can still see through the curtain, but it has an effect on my mood. Everything filters through to me as a mostly cloudy weather forecast, if you can imagine that. And there is no immediate sense of the curtain being lifted. When this happens, I become more reserved and quiet and I respond to conversations and can generate smiles of approval if I'm called upon to do so, but my mood renders those responses sometimes as less than completely genuine. Some days I was able to function at a normal level. The worst days were when I could not get out of bed. There were days like that. Thankfully, there were only a few of those days. But this was my response when I deemed that the pressure of life coming against me was not worth facing. A couple of times, I kept the room I was in as dark as possible to keep out the daylight, and I had no desire to even get up and get something to eat. Much of the issues surrounding my depression was an overall dissatisfaction with how my life was going. And the triggers were a marriage that, while publicly seemed normal, was privately deteriorating. Now, this is not the present marriage. Amen. This was my previous marriage, just for those for context. All that I'll say about this is that when I expressed a desire to Uh, interestingly, get more involved with ministry at the church, that's when things seemed to start falling apart. It got even more complicated when I was laid off from a job, and the children were often out of the house visiting friends in order to avoid moments of conflict. And I shied away from that conflict as often as possible to avoid any chance of an argument and getting other people dragged into it. I would often retreat to a sitting room with doors closed. There were even false accusations made about me as an excuse to get me to leave my house for a short period of time. All in all, the conflict between me and my former wife was irreconcilable. She wanted to go in a different direction, and I didn't. At the time, I didn't understand what was going on or why any of this was happening. In looking back on my experience, I actually remember the time, and I can remember this like it's yesterday, in 1980 when my mother smashed a glass table in the living room as she declared to my father that she wanted to leave him. And my dad had retreated to a room with the appearance of being utterly defeated. There were a lot of similarities to that incident and what I personally experienced on my own. That scene was as vivid today as it was back then. In 2002, my life was hectic and had grown to be more and more difficult. I was active in the church and teaching Sunday school, but there was a lot of pressure in keeping the family together. There was a need to bring in extra money and to contribute to the children's schooling, And all of my earnings went towards this and household expenses. In order for me to earn some walk-around money, I took on extra work as a newspaper carrier. But I was not eating well and nor was I getting any rest. If you know anything about letter carriers, you know you have to get up very, very early in the morning and you still have to function during the day with a regular job. My life was spiraling out of control. And because I was having regular, unusual experiences of emotional upheaval, I went to my doctor to see what was going on. I was diagnosed with moderate depression and started taking an antidepressant. I was on Zoloft, or those of you who know about Zoloft, and it was the highest daily dose, 100 milligrams. Well, as with all antidepressants, sometimes it helped and sometimes it didn't. It came to a point where I had to rely more and more upon Jesus Christ and less upon my ability to snap out of it. Because sometimes that's what you might hear from someone who's very insensitive about it. Just snap out of it. It also came down to a moment of truth where I had to change my environment and the way my life was going. It took a lot of prayer, and a great deal of meditation and introspection. Because I also had to come to the conclusion myself that I wasn't perfect. I wasn't always doing what I should be doing. I needed to take all of my own personal issues to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness for what I was doing. There were days when I was just functioning And I often welled up with tears, even while I was in my car, just listening to music. This response, in looking back on it, in fact, was actually good. I needed to release everything I had within me. Without this release, I would have had difficulty experiencing God's reassurance, His comfort, and His guidance. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And I had to see that, that God truly did care for me. Here I was just a few months ago talking about getting deeper, more deeply involved in ministry, and yet I felt like I was abandoned. It wasn't happening. But I didn't understand what His plan was for me. And through that prayer, I started to learn. You also learn who your friends are when you're in a crisis. I had to share my personal experiences with a limited number of people. And they were wonderful as they kept praying for me. And they kept talking to me. And I'm thankful for their prayers and for their unwavering support. I know who you are. Today, because of a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and a much-needed change of my life and environment, I am no longer on medication. In fact, I came off of the medication in mid-2004 and I started taking St. John's Wort, which is a natural product, just to ease my way through that. And then after a while, I stopped taking that too. So no more meds. Today, I also exercise and stay active And I have a much healthier diet, healthy in a good way. Amen? Each of these things helps me to keep balanced and focus on what's most important. And the most important thing is to serve Jesus Christ, learn from my experiences within my personal affliction in order that I can be helpful and encourage others for the glory of God that's what's most important. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm thankful for God's healing And for his presence even in those times when the curtain was down over my head. He uses us even in our weakness. And that's good. That's a good thing. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. He truly did that for me. He upholds me today. Jesus Christ, with the power and my reliance upon the Holy Spirit, keeps the curtain up and out of my way. Amen.
0: Thank you, Mel. And this is what Joe faced. If you look at verses seventeen through twenty one again, you would notice. two things. Job 7 verses 17 through 21. I already mentioned that Job asked the question, will God leave him alone? The answer is no. God will visit each and every one of us. He will set our, his heart upon us. But after verse 19, you notice that Job asked another question in verse 19. If I sin, I mean, after verse 19, starting in verse 20, if I sin, what do I do to you, watcher of mankind? Why have you made your mark, or why have you made me your target why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For I shall lie in the earth and you would not see me, but I shall not be. Do you notice the difference between verses 17 and 19 through 19 and verses 20 through 21? He asked the question, will God leave us alone? Does God's heart is upon us? And the answer is yes. But quickly he reverted back to being depressed in the following verses. This is why I believe that he asked God those questions. That is what a depressed person does. If there is any glimmer of hope They were run to it, but quickly their emotions will capture them and bring them back into depression. So I'm glad that Mel has shared his story with us because I wanted you to have a personal witness of how a person can be depressed, and now the Lord Jesus Christ can save that individual from depression. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you are doing in our lives. I do ask you that you will continue to help us. I mean to continue uh, help us to be running towards the cross, running towards the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is at the cross where we find healing. And is at the cross where we are saved from all things, including depression.